Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of Wango Spaces, discussing Kenya's rising euro bond yields. Hey, Mark. Hi, Eric. This is Mark here. We can just get started. We have half an hour or so to go. So it will be a short one. So let's dive right into it. You can introduce yourself and what you do. Yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for dialing in. So my name is Mark Boland. I'm originally Swedish or half English, half Swedish. So I managed to meet up with Eric in Stockholm a couple of weeks ago. So I'm an economist. Now I'm a senior credit research analyst slash macroeconomist. I've been focusing on Sub-Saharan Africa for the past 13 years. Initially, it was on East Africa, so the EAC5, as they were at that time. Ethiopia, DRC, a few more. And then I shifted in 2015. I became the Africa and Middle East economist for Bloomberg Economics. And then I started covering the whole continent and also the Middle East. So it was quite a challenge. I continued to do a lot of research on East Africa, just because that's what I knew well and was familiar with, but also branched out covering Ghana, Nigeria, and also the bigger Anglophone economies, the Eurobond issuers, but also the smaller Francophone economies that started issuing uh, Eurobonds, Benin. Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, well, they had some bonds since previously. And since 2020, I'm a senior credit research analyst for Red Intelligence here in London. We focus on some high-yielding debt, both from a sovereign perspective, which is my area of responsibility, and also corporates. And I used to travel quite regularly to East Africa, maybe one up to three times a year. Bloomberg, but then as I joined Red in the middle of the COVID pandemic, it's been fewer trips since I did a trip out to Dar es Salaam, Nairobi and Kampala in late February, early March was actually my first time in the region since 2019. And of course, it's very intensive to travel there, do the three capitals in five days. It was good to be back, and I've published two reports since, one on Tanzania, their planned Europe on issuance and also kind of a general take on the macroeconomic and political outlook for Tanzania. I was out last week, I think it featured the cover in the Wango channel. And just a report published yesterday on Kenya, just a bit of my take on what I got from being there and also the kind of developments we've had since. So I think maybe if I can just do a kind of short presentation of well, the main points of what, and then we can have a discussion after that, or what do you think, Eric? Yep. And perhaps for those that are initiated, maybe you can tell them a bit what the Eurobond market is all about. Maybe you can start there and then maybe then you can go into discussing for us what your takeaways are from the Eurobond exposure from East Africa from your own perspective. What a Eurobond is, a Eurobond is a bond issued in the national market, often at the a foreign law. In the CMA region, it tends to be a London jurisdiction, which means that as the issuing country, the borrower, you can't actually change the legislation in case you run into trouble with, and that's what Ghana did just two months ago. They had a debt exchange where they exchanged the domestic debt for bonds with different terms. While Greece uh, back in 2013 actually changed legislation. But if you issue a Eurobond, it will be under another country's legislation, which means that you can't actually change the terms of the bonds. So that's why it's seen as a safer investment by the national investor. And it's often in 
one of the hard currencies, most often dollars, but also euros. And there's some bonds issued in other currencies as Japanese yen and the Chinese yuan. So that is what a euro bond is. And Kenya's issued, is it four or five? They issued the first pair of euro bonds in 2014, a five-year bond that matured in 2019 and was refinanced. And then a two billion 10-year bond was initially, I think, 1.5 billion, and then they increased the size to 2 billion, which is coming due in June next year. And a lot of the concern regarding Kenya is if they will be able to refinance this bond because it is a very big bullet maturity, which means that all matures on, it needs to be repaid on one specific date. The others, you have the weighted average life bond is becoming increasingly popular where the principal repayment of the sum you borrowed is spread over two or three dates, but this is a bullet bond and it's a big amount. So that's a lot of the concern in Kenya now is how to refinance 2024 Eurobond. Quick question. What usually is the reason for tapping into Eurobond market for most countries that come to this market? It is to increase your financing options. Kenya is one of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa that has had this whole biggest because it's a bigger, more bigger economy has been wealthier than is Nairobi as the business center has had this sort of domestic sector, banking sector. They have been able to borrow in the domestic market. And also they, for a long time during the Arab Moi era, they did not have the same access to concessional financing as for instance, Tanzania, which has been an aid darling, got a lot of aid from the Nordic countries and also other donor countries, which meant that they essentially did not have to borrow in the domestic market. The domestic borrowing in Uganda and Tanzania, Rwanda for a long time was more focused on some monetary policy purposes to actually try to control inflation, try to control interest rates rather than raising money in the domestic market. But it has changed in Tanzania, Uganda and Rwanda that they are now more self-reliant when it comes to financing. In terms of the Kenyan Eurobond, the yields are up significantly. I think they were up last year on some pronouncements, I think by the then, I think leading presidential candidate talked about some restructuring of bonds and it spooked the market a bit. The yields went up to around 20%, then they went down to around 10% around November last year. And then they're back up to around 19% this week, especially with the 2024 bond. What's your takeaway in terms of the progression in terms of the yield government? Should Kenyans be worried when indeed they're also going to market next year to do a refinancing? Yes, for much of the past 10 years, you've had relatively stable and low rates in developed markets. So when there has been a sort of large increase in yields, it's normally been because of events specific for the country in question fiscal policy being too lax or something else happening. So that's why you've had Zambia, the yields really started taking off in 2016, 2017. It started pricing in a higher risk of default, but the rest of the Eurobond market, while the Sub-Saharan African Eurobonds were trading, the yields were actually declining in many cases. But what you've seen over the past year or a bit more is a general increase in all Eurobond yields. And this is primarily tied to people expecting the U.S. Federal Reserve to hike rates, which is later materialized, but also a spread to essentially concerns in the market of how a lot of these countries 
which had borrowed a lot and were running quite substantial fiscal deficits, how they would be able to, to refinance and essentially survive or if they were sustainable financially in a market or sort of environment of high rates. And often forget the saying that it's when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming naked. And I think for Dana, I think it was clear, even though the market only really started selling off sharply in, in mid 2021, I think the point where they needed to really adjust their fiscal policy was several years ahead. I personally was respecting the government default for close to 10 years. And I think also a lot of Eurobond investors were expecting that. But often if you see in these, these investment funds are measured quite often on their most recent returns, all, all these investment materials say that past returns aren't a guarantee for future returns. But of course you need a kind of outperformance compared to your competitors and specifically compared to index funds to actually get investors and be able to motivate the fee you charge them. So that's why the Ghanaian and some of these high risk countries, for instance, Ghana and Angola were popular among investors, even though they had very elevated credit risks and Kenya was generally viewed favorably in the market, but what you've seen over the past year, well, apart from the last few months is not so much a concern about Kenya itself. It's about general market movements rather than specific that people have become more bearish about Kenya. So then in terms of the market being a bit bearish, what are some of the causes? I think one is the Fed raising rates. That's one of the things that from your perspective is driving some of the moves in the yields for the euro bonds. Yeah, so the Fed is, uh, I think it's four, I should know it's somewhere four, four percent now. So this of course is a three, four on basis increase. But if you look at the yields over the past year and a half, they've increased by more than a thousand basis points for Kenya, at least to 2024. And so it is the credit spread. So the spread is the difference between the Kenya 20, 2027 euro bond and the kind of underlying risk-free instrument, which is normally U.S. Treasury, at least for U.S. dollar-denominated bonds. So that has increased very sharply. So that has been the main driver of the increase in the euro bond yields is that people are, yes, it's higher rates, but you're also more concerned about how a lot of these countries will be able to refinance themselves in a higher rate environment, especially the ones that have high fiscal deficits, which is where Kenya has been among those countries in the past 10 years, for more or less the whole Kenyatta presidential era. And also they have large maturities coming due and Kenya is with a third, 2 billion 2024 maturity, one of those countries at the top of, of that list. And that is what has been driving the latest sell-off. In terms of repayments for some of these bonds, what's usually the strategy for countries to manage upcoming payments like this? There was the option you said of weighted average, which Kenya did not use. This is a bullet payment. What other options are usually available for countries that want to refinance a euro bond like this? Yeah, so weighted average life is yeah when you spread out the, the principal repayments over two or three years. So often, sub-Saharan African Eurobond market is 
often when you launch, you come the first bond into the market. You want it to be as simple as possible. Your potential investor base are often not that familiar with you as a company or as a country. So that's why you want to keep it as plain vanilla as possible. So the bullet repayment was the most common repayment form when this kind of Eurobond market started spreading when it started growing from like 2007 to 2015 and then from 2015 onwards it became more common with the weighted average life the ones that have repayments spread out of over several years but there's also the benchmark size of a euro bond is normally 500 million is normally what you have to get into an index of course if you want to refinance at a specific date, you don't want to keep these repayments too small either. So that's, I think, what was some of the, the ideas that were taken in to decide this, but I think it is quite clear for both Kenya and also Ethiopia issued a 1 billion bond in December, 2014, and that's coming due next year. And that yield is even higher than the one on Kenya, on the Kenya 2024. And some of you may know Ethiopia was one of the four sub-Saharan African countries that applied for uh, so that restriction under the G20 common framework. And I think they were the second one to do this after chat. They did this in early 2021, but sadly it hasn't actually paid off because of some different reasons. So they actually just had a sell-off in the Eurobond deals as a result of applying for this common framework, but they didn't have any benefit because, you know, they haven't been able to come to a deal in Ethiopia and they're still servicing the debt. And now it's looking a bit more positive in Ethiopia after the peace deal in 2024, but I don't want to digress too much from main focus for this call, which is on Kenya. Kenya is coming to market the next year to refinance. I think last week they issued an EOI for this, an expression of interest to get a lead manager for this. What has been the reaction like in the market? What do they, a bit of speculation that caused the spike in Eurobond yields? This is the situation in Egypt and then Tanzania coming to market next year. Is there demand for this Eurobond that you're refinancing? And also what are the investors saying about this refinancing that they have to do next year? Yeah, it's always a bit difficult to nail down what is exactly moving the market. I think what you've seen since in April was that there's been a kind of a division between the kind of investment grade credit credits, the ones that are generally viewed as more safe, which are the Eurobond yields have fallen. And then you have the, the stressed debt ones, that's Kenya, but also Egypt and Pakistan that actually had a further sell-off. Personal view, I think this is due to expectations that there would be more financing coming for these countries, the stressed countries and low-income countries in general from the IMF World Bank spring meetings in mid-April. But there wasn't really much tangible progress. You have the Poverty Reduction and Growth Trust, which is the kind of IMF fund which they use to lend to developing countries or low-income countries. The other one is the general resource account. They increase the access limit, essentially how much they can lend to countries in the general resource account, which is for sort of middle income and kind of richer countries in early March. And that facilitated, or they made it possible to come up with a 16 billion IMF program 
for Ukraine, which is a part of a wider package. I think it was almost 100 billion. So that was announced before the IMF spring meeting, but they did not raise enough funds for the poverty reduction growth trust. I think it was just a few billion dollars short to lend to Kenya and other lower income countries, which I think is quite a surprising development. I mean, I think it just shows what the priorities are for the G7 now. It's very much focused on helping Ukraine fight the war against Russia and then helping the lower developing countries that are hit by the sort of impact on wheat prices, fuel prices from the conflict is further down the priority list. And I think that is one of the main reasons why the market has been spooked. And you also have the cases of Egypt and Pakistan, which I don't cover as closely as Kenya, but I do also look at in my kind of core scenario there where they would model through into 2024, and then you'd have a default in the credit event or some kind of restructuring in both cases in 2024. But my personal view is that this could happen even sooner in a couple of months time, just because there is not enough financing coming from both multilateral sources, that would be the IMF and World Bank, or also bilateral creditors, that would be the GCC in the case of Egypt, and also in Pakistan. In Pakistan, it's mainly China. And I think there is financing, there will be financing being made available, increased financing for Kenya next few months from the World Bank from the IMF, potentially also bilateral sources like China. So that should ease the financing situation and also to refinance the 2024 euro bond. But I think a countervailing force will be how the market reacts to a potential credit event in Egypt or Pakistan. I, my view is that there will be more multilateral financing being made available. Or Kenya. So my personal view is that a default on the 2024 euro bond is considerably lower than is currently priced in by the market. But I don't think that this multilateral financing that I expect to come in the next few months will crowd in private financing, essentially make private creditors more willing to lend credit to Kenya. I don't think that effect will be as strong as maybe my view would be a couple of months ago. In terms of defaults, because that's also been that something that's been relatively talked about in the Kenyan markets, how, what would that default mean to Kenya if they default in a euro bond? You talked of it as being the jurisdiction for it. It's a foreign market. So what does that default in that regard mean? I don't know how closely they that situation, whether they defaulted, they default on their domestic markets and they didn't default to the external market. Is that something that likely to happen in Kenya? Yeah, Ghana has defaulted on the external debt. They declared a unilateral suspension of interest payments just before Christmas. And then normally in this, a default is only declared after the grace period. It's normally a kind of one month grace period for after the, uh, while the payment is due, where you, before and at the end of that, default is, is declared. So Ghana is in default on both its external debt, because the payments might be made on some of the euro bonds. 
And you also have a cross default clause. And in the domestic debt, I mean, it was seen as the distressed tax debt exchange. So that's where they are, have been in, and they are, according to Fitch, in a kind of restricted default there. But often what in this kind of situation is that the country often does realize that they won't be in position to continue to service their debt. So they launch off on what is a kind of a consent solicitation process. So Ghana did not do this, which I think surprised some people, but Zambia did this in late 2021, essentially saying, I forget if it was the 2024 euro bond, they just applied toll creditors or care can't pay this. Can you please allow us not to have to pay the, the interest payments, the coupon payments on these euro bond. I think it was for one year or so they applied for, but the creditors did not accept this. And then Ghana, Zambia did not pay the coupon on the payment. And then after a month grace period was up, they were declared in default. So I think that's similar to what would happen in the case of Kenya, if you come up say into March, April next year, and they had not been able to secure enough multilateral financing or a policy-based guarantee is something I think will be made available for Kenya if they should need. This is what was made available for Ghana in 2015, but they were essentially priced out of the market. The World Bank stepped in and guaranteed 40% of a uh, 1 billion euro bond issue. That's the 2030 Ghanaian euro bond, which some of you might be familiar with. There has been some reporting. Uh, Ghana missed a payment, a coupon payment on that in early April. I think it was 14th of April as the payment about 53 million US dollars. And they did not make this payment. And because the World Bank had guaranteed this payment, they did pay. Europe bond holders. And this allowed Ghana to borrow at actually tap the Euro bond market for one billion dollars back in twenty in twenty fifteen. They still had to pay a high coupon rate of almost eleven percent, ten point seventy five percent. And I think that's what I have been saying for a while is an option for Kenya. If you have, I think there's a considerably stronger case to use this coupon now than there was for Ghana in twenty fifteen. Because it would also allow you to buy back some of the 2024 euro bond at a discount rate. So you can allow Kenya to cut your rates, cut your debt a little bit that way. It probably wouldn't be a material sum, but probably maybe hundred million or something like that. Couple, perhaps a bit more at the current rates. Cause I think if this would be declared, the, the euro bond yields would fall considerably. But that's one of the options for Kenya, and I think that will be made available if Eurobond yields stay higher for longer, which has become my scenario now, not so much for what is happening in Kenya, but more so in Egypt and in uh, Pakistan. So I think essentially, yeah, Kenya, the administration is doing what is being asked of it. You have this fiscal consolidation ongoing that has been promised for close to a decade in the kind of medium term fiscal policy frameworks, but never actually materialized, but is actually happening now during what it started in sort of while Kenyatta was still in power, you had this sort of strong revenue performance and 
in FY21, 2022. And now you're seeing a bit of a cut on the expenditure side too. And the IMF seem to be very happy with Kenya's performance under this program, which means you're probably going to have a positive review and also agree to lending under the Resilience and Sustainability Trust, which is a new instrument IMF has for longer term lending at low rates for climate change linked projects. So from what I get from you, then we should be calmer in terms of the Eurobond outlook, but mostly as Kenyans. But then you have a small challenge in the domestic market. The uptake for the domestic bonds has been quite low and the government is behind in domestic borrowing. Have you maybe noted anything in that regard? It's in terms of from investors generally. And then secondly, also, you can touch on Tanzania tapping into the Eurobond market next year and what your notes were for your travel in Tanzania. Yeah, so often over the past decade, so the Eurobond yields have been on the kind of high single digits. So Kenya, when they came to market 2014, it was 6875. They issued, if I remember correctly, but yeah, just under 7%. And the U.S. Treasury then, I think, was around 2.5, something like that. So it was very low, and now it's around 4.5%. And essentially in Kenya, then, yeah, 10-year similar instrument, domestic bond would be maybe 10 to 15% normally. So often, it was a trade-off with a euro bond. You had your monies in dollars, so you accepted a lower yield. But for a long time, the Kenyan shilling was relatively stable to U.S. dollars. So of course, if you could hold a domestic government bond at 12, 13%, that's a sort of excess return or a four, 500 basis bonds, high return. So that's why they managed to keep this kind of bad could borrow in both in the domestic market and in the Eurobond markets and had these options. But now with the Eurobond to the 2024, if you, as a Kenyan investor, you can buy that 15% and you're not taking the dollar risk, you're not taking the FX rate risk, then of course that's a lot more attractive than buying a domestic 10-year bond at a lower yield. So I think that is what is one of the factors behind the shrinking demands in the domestic market, not only in Kenya, but also in other countries where you've had this sell-off in the Eurobond deals so that they're actually higher than what is in the domestic market. A lot of these investors will prefer to, to stick their monies in Eurobonds. I know anecdotal then of evidence, so this was six months ago, was, yeah, I remember we were on the call with Ali Kansachu and Others, 1.5 to 2 billion in domestic holdings of the euro bonds and some quite heavily weighted, weighted towards the 2024 euro bond. And I would think that some is more likely to have increased over the past three months than decreased just because of the relative level in the yields. My view is that I think you'll have to have the euro bond yields coming down to 10% or potentially even lower in order to really get strong demand in the domestic market. But yeah, that's what I'm interested to hear are the people on the call. What is the view? Can you get hold? From my perspective, it would seem a lot more attractive to put your money in the euro bond if you can get your money out or you had your money somewhere where you can easily stick it into the Kenyan euro bonds rather than the domestic market. 
We have James here. James from Kusa. Hey, James. What's your perspective on the euro bond and the local bond market? Thank you. Thank you, Mokaya. And actually, I was also looking at a clarification. I think Mark largely agree with your views. And just looking at the timing of the refinance for the 2024, um, I think the Kenyan government, the exp expression of interest said that the looking to raise the eurobond between June this year and before June next year. And from where I sit, I think if, for instance, they waited up until next year, it might be too late. And they, they, it might be sense that they'd be very desperate then, and they may not be able to dictate the price at which they'll actually be able to raise the, the euro point. So as regards to timing, I think best suits the government to, to raise it this part of the year, maybe in quarter four. But again, it really is dependent on where exactly rates will be. And maybe it's a question of what sort of tenor they love to go for, maybe longer, but I'd want to hear your views, Mark, as to whether, if, for instance, the government did issue a 20-year C euro bond, whether there'll indeed be, be demand. And also, maybe something you can chime in to, Mark, is the comments that came through from IMF, I guess they gave a brief maybe two, three weeks ago, and there was a direct question as regards to Kenya, as to whether Kenya is one of those candidates that from IMF's perspective, they think they might restructure, that I think IMF was very clear that from where they sit, they don't think that Kenya is likely to restructure or rather is a candidate for defaults. So then maybe a question, do you think if, for instance, the government is not able to raise enough money, say, in the euro bonds they're going to issue, they can actually have a discussion with IMF. And I guess you said IMF is very happy with the fiscal consolidation that the current regime has been doing. So do you think then there's an avenue whereby the government can go to IMF and ask IMF, give us a line up to whatever shortfall we've gotten from the euro bond issue to make good the 2024 June maturity? then we reorganize our finances as we go. And maybe, Mokai, I can come back as regards to domestic debts. If you can allow maybe Mark to um, respond to some of those questions and maybe the clarifications of sort. We'll come back to you. We have some limited time with Mark, so maybe we can finish up with him and then we'll continue with him. So Mark, maybe you can respond to that and also maybe talk a bit about Tanzania's going to market and their recent ratings for Moody's. Yeah, thank you for this. Yes, as you mentioned, this tender for the lead advisor said, yeah, June this year to June next year. And because you have this 2 billion euro bond maturity in the next year, I think it was always clear that Kenya would be looking to issue a euro bond in FY 23, 24. So for me, there's no major news in that announcement. Yes. That's why I personally don't think it has been a driver of the recent sell-off in the euro bond. I think they just want to have all their ducks in a row, everything prepared. If there was to be a sharp drop in the euro bond yields, for whatever reason, Egypt issued at 11% in February, I think it was a Sukuk. 
1.5 billion. That's one of the highest euro bonds, sovereign euro bonds you've seen in quite a while, but they really did need the money then at the time. But I don't think Kenya is in quite as bad a situation. But I think previously you could sit out the euro bond issuance in FY21, 22, and, but now it's not an option in the coming year because of the maturity coming due. I remember in June, 2021. When they issued the latest euro bond, I was quite surprised that they, I think their size was 1.1 billion. I was quite surprised that they did not go for a larger amount, maybe 2 billion and buy back part of the 2024, just to reduce this kind of very large maturity to essentially avoid the situation they are in now at the moment. I would expect the Eurobond uh, issuance to, uh, I expect it to happen in the first half of 2024. I think there is an increasing likelihood that they'll need some kind of credit guarantee from the World Bank, the policy-based guarantee, or possibly from the African Development Bank to actually be able to, uh, to borrow uh, in the market at affordable rates. But up on, until then, you have more IMF money coming due. You. you have the Resilience and Sustainability Facility which you can lend up to, I think it's 20 year maturity, up to 150% of quota. That would be 1.1 billion US dollars in the case of Kenya. And also if the IMF managed to raise the access limit, the cumulative access limit on the poverty and poverty reduction and growth trust, it's currently at 435% of IMF quota to 600%, similar to what they did at the general resource account. I think this will happen in coming months that would give Kenya access to an additional 1.5 billion from the IMF over the next 18 months or so, I think of 2024, maybe they'll tie out the program longer. And as Nuroga and others have mentioned, there is World Bank money coming in. There are substantial sums coming in and you have the dual currency loan, the syndicated loan also, which, so there is money available because Kenya has very substantial financing needs for the next year. That's the situation. I'll just talk very quickly about Tanzania. So Tanzania hasn't issued, I mean, a considerably better state than Kenya. It had a medium term note issued in 2013 that was paid back in 20, 2020 in installments, but uh, general, the view when I was there, I spent a couple of days and Dar es Salaam and definitely a tangibly more positive music environment or atmosphere than in Kenya. And people are coming out, doing business, prepared to doing business. And I think they're doing the right things. The credit ratings I expect to be announced in the next couple of months, I think. I have to guess, I think you'll have Moody's have their unsolicited rating as a B flat with a positive outlook. I think they could get a B plus rating from Fitch. What rating they, I think Fitch had Kenya on not too long ago before the downgrade. And of course, these dual bond investors, conversion managers don't have any Tanzania exposure at the moment. So I think if they go ahead with issuing a euro bond that would be snapped up at investors, but is, as I mentioned, a kind of high yield environment and U.S. Treasury yields then was the case when Kenya and, and Ethiopia entered the market in 2014. So I 
didn't discuss while well, we talked a bit with the authorities about the plans, didn't take up the actual what yields they were looking at. So what I said in the research report is that looking at maybe 7.58%, I mean, a similar spread to, to the Randa bond, Randa's 20, 2031 bond. And I think it's not possible to get that this year. And I think they are not in a rush to get the money. You have IMF and the World Bank to reinstating budget supports. So I think for Tanzania, it's more kind of part of a sort of strategy to understand, to show that we're back in business, we're open again, and we're open for it would investment for foreign investors to come in after kind of Michael Fooley era, which was more focused on reducing dependence and reducing ties with outside investors. I don't think there will be too much competition between the two. The Eurobond market is considerably smaller now. I think it could be a positive if Tanzania potentially came first into the market rather than Kenya, but it's hard to say how much difference it actually would make. So shall I put on the word to someone else, Eric, what you prefer? Do you have more time to maybe take questions from the audience or I do you? Maybe one yeah. or two more questions more. Okay. Uh, so if you're in the audience and you want to ask a few questions to Mark, we have you for the next few more minutes, just raise your hand. In the meantime, maybe Mark, you can tell us a bit about if Kenya is coming to market, what are some of the yields, bond rates that you'd expect them to issue the bond at? If they were to issue like right now, what would be your inkling towards maybe, I don't know, guess where the, the rates may lie at? You have a sort of inverted yield curve for a lot of the bonds now. If they really wanted to issue, it would be 10 to 15%, but I don't think often you stay out of the market, you don't issue that at those rates, at least not in the past decade, unless you really need the money, as was the case for Egypt early this year. You have the, the 2032 and the 2034 bonds, 2012, 13 to 15%, but I don't think Kenya is going to issue at these. Uh, rate. So I think rates might come in a bit. That was my expectation that they would come down. I don't have a strong opinion about when you'll see a turnaround in U.S. inflation and when rates actually come down. I mean, it seems like a lower, higher for longer event is the case. But I think if you see this, I think now my core scenario is that they might ease the bit, but stay in the 10 to Maybe a few basis points, 100 basis points lower when they are at the moment, but that Kenya needs credit enhancement. That is some kind of partial credit guarantee from World Bank or African Development Bank to push it down into the high single digits to a level where a new Eurobond issuance would be, would be possible. I don't see any questions on the timeline, so you can do some closing thoughts, Mark. I haven't spoken about Uganda. So Uganda is a country that has been under the radar and they actually have quite, have quite substantial foreign participation in the domestic bond market. The Bank of Uganda figures, if I remember correctly, showed up to 900 million at the peak in, I think this was late 2021. Like a lot of countries in Sub-Saharan Africa tap the kind of rapid credit facility, the kind of emergency lending from the IMF. But like most countries in Africa, the main financing during COVID was from the domestic market. 
which of course means you as it is positive, you're less dependent on an external kind of the winds of foreigners, but it tends to be at higher yields. So that's why Uganda's also had an increase on the debt servicing level, still lower than in Kenya. And of course, they also have repayments, quite large repayments on Chinese financed infrastructure projects. That is also becoming challenging to refinancing that. What I, I met the sort of state ministry of finance, I was quite impressed by the meeting and they have secured some, a syndicated loan that's, I think it's out in the market or close to being closed or might have closed already by Stanbeck. And they seem to be also quite dedicated on bringing back on non-fiscal consolidation. They had a, a budget deficit more than 9% back in uh, 2020 to 2021. And that's now closer to 5% this fiscal year. So they're also getting back to more fiscal sustainability. And there's definitely a high risk country. There's a lot of high risk factors on political succession and also the state of the economy, but there are also positive risk factors. The Karuma hydropower plant should be producing for fall quite soon. That's 50% increase in electricity productions. You also have the old projects moving forward in the next few years. And I think this kind of deal with the Turkish or the standard gauge railway should mean that project also gets back on track within the next few years. And this kind of growth impetus should, if it's combined with a fiscal consolidation, bring them back to more of an even keel. And they have also discussed the option of the Euroboditions, which I think will happen. Maybe I was looking more at 2024, but it depends on the current environment. Maybe they have to push it into, I think they were talking about 2020, the fiscal year 2023 to 2024, but they might have to push it one year forward to 2024 to 2025. But I still think Kenya or wider East Africa region is together Francophone West Africa are going to be continuing up forming other sub-regions in Sub-Saharan Africa and be where the investor interests are that. But of course, you could terribly charge this by increasing the regional economic integration in the East African Common Market Protocol. I think that's interesting what's happening in with the accession of the DRC, but I think much more needs to be happening with actually implementing the East African Common Market Protocol, which was agreed back in 2020, 2010, if I remember correctly, rather than accepting new members expanding geographically. Thanks, Monk, for the really engaging perspective, especially on the Eurobond yields. We're much more settled after listening to you. I think making learning that the spike in Eurobond yields is not solely due to Kenya, but also like due to other countries around which also have a bit of distress in that regard. Then another key learning, of course, is that Kenya has options as we head into 2024. But I always wonder why when it comes to a bullet payment like this, which has always been known to come due next year in 2024, how come we never really planned as a country for this? Mm-hmm. And it almost comes as a surprise that you now, I mean, you should have raised a bit maybe before uh, around 2020 to a lower under. Then we're able like to pay off a bit of this debt and also extend the maturity of some of these debt bonds that are due next year. Is that something that is common in countries not to plan well for such maturities? Now, because of maybe political issues at all? 
Yeah, it's not uncommon. I think, yeah, definitely a mistake and definitely a mistake not to, not to issue a bigger bond in 2021, but I will leave it to you to discuss that and maybe we can pick that up at a later point because I need to cook. Thanks. James, do you have some closing thoughts on Kenyan local bonds? Okay. Thank, thanks, Eric. So maybe uh, my thoughts will be on what we've been saying. I think last week we saw a bond um, cancelled. It was a long-dated paper. Today, we've seen a new issue. The government is back to raise $20 billion through issuing a three-year paper. On the, that three-year paper that was issued today, which you think the, the auction date runs 10th next month, and then there's something there small that says that it's not part of the... Let, let me pull up the document itself. There's something that says it's not part of the yield curve. Is that something that is common to such bonds? So basically, my reading of that is that they're willing to accept expensive rates, but they don't want to distort the yield curve. But I think the market has really communicated to them, whereby whenever they issue long-dated papers, there's no interest whatsoever. But you're seeing a lot of interest, especially on the short end of the curve, actually on 91-day T-bill. Even the 182-day T-bill, 364-day T-bill are all being undersubscribed. So basically, the market expects these rates to go up. So the market is playing smart. So there's no reason of investing in a five-year paper for you to be underwater um, within a month or so. So you just play short term and keep on just lending money to government as the rates go up. I'm actually just seeing a comparison of what exactly happened like in 2012, whereby we saw an inverted yield curve. I expect an inverted yield curve as we go through the year because there is money. It's not like there's no liquidity whatsoever in the market. There's actually liquidity, but the liquidity is being smart. It's actually available in the short term as the market expects rates to keep trending upwards. So what does the, an inverted deal curve mean? So they demand on the short end, a lot of it. Yeah. And the supplier is limited. So we'll not push up the, the yield price. That what causes the inverted yield curve. Is that right? Yeah, so basically there won't be any price discovery in the long end of the curve because you see what exactly the, even the government from where it sits, it's been like we can accept expensive money on the short end as opposed to, for instance, ex accepting very expensive money, say for 15 years. So you can imagine if, for instance, they issued a 15-year paper and the weighted accepted rates come in at, rather the weighted accepted rate comes in at like 20%. So you actually left paying 20% for 20 years. You rather accept expensive money, say for even three years for that 20% or 182, 364 at that 20% is paying. You only have it for a short period of time. Um, so uh, then you'd find that now 191, 182, 364 are actually trading way higher as compared to five-year 10 year and 20 years. So basically, that's a, a, an inverted yield curve. I'm looking at the result from today. We have the 91 day up 167% performance rate, and the, the 364 is at 14%. Yep. Last week, it was 799% on the 91 yep. day, on 10% for the 264. Uh, it seems like it's been going on for a while. And then, but then, if you look at the yield, 
You're looking at 10.12 for the 364 and 10.2 for the 91D. Is that then 182 is around 10.5? What about raising rates on the long end and allowing that to be market driven? Is that not an option? To be honest, as a fund manager, when you expect interest rates to go up, the, the first thing you'll be doing is to shorten duration. So as a strategy, oh, you'll be wow. like, avoid duration as much as possible. So be near cash and just go up with the market. Then when it becomes clearer that maybe rates have now more or less hit the top, that's the time you start doing yield uh, pickup. That's the time now you start willing to take up duration. Yeah, because mm -hmm. now even if they issued a 15-year paper and they do the communication they've done with the three-year, paper that that 15-year paper won't be part of the yield curve, meaning what they're trying to say is that we're willing to accept expensive rates. Still, as a fund manager, as an investor, you'll share away because you'll be like, you may think it's attractive and no one is issued and it go, the rate goes even higher. So as of now, the smartest strategy is actually to be near cash as possible and just be playing anywhere below two years. Would, would threats and the declarations work? It's private money. This is not government money. Yeah? So a memo from the CBK won't help you? No, it won't. <laughs> it's, it's private money. It, it's not government money. On the other hand, the government is behind in borrowing. What's happening? But you guys want to give the government money. The other issue you have is also a new government and people like trusting it enough for with money for a longer period of time or what's happening? Or do you also want to find out what are their policies, what's in the budget and stuff like that? Are those things that also concern you as a fund manager? No, we haven't gotten, and I guess even as fund managers, we actually, we know it's in our best interest for the government to continue being in a position to pay because already we've given government money. So we've invested in bonds. If you look at our products, we've got products that have already invested in government bonds. Look at banks, the sort of exposure they've got in government paper. So would want to give government money. We know the only way they'd be able to pay us on the maturities that are coming due, on the coupons that are meant to be paid, it's if, one, they collect adequate taxes, or second, they're able to borrow from the domestic market, or you can argue third, borrow from the international market. So we are not unwilling to actually lend money to government, but the price has to be right. And they have to issue us the papers that we want. So it needs to get to a point whereby now they are willing to be price takers because we know they are desperate. So their price takers will give them money at the price that we want. And they have to issue us the bonds that we want. So what bond you want at what price? So you're holding the government hostage, yes. No, no, but Eric, remember what happened in 2012. 2012, we had T-bill rates going above 20%, yeah? So, okay. Yeah, and it played out and things normalized as we went to 2013. I'm not saying it will be a perfect mirror of, of 2012, but as of now, no investor, no fund manager wants to take on duration. We basically be playing short term and they have to be willing to accept the rates at which we bid in it. You know, what's your perspective there? Fund managers are interested in investing there. 
give us the dollars. We want the government to provide you the dollars. Yeah, but I mean, just dollar availability. Like now, for instance, part of the issue we had when the Kenya 2024 was trading at 20%, you mentioned that. We saw the opportunity. It was a good trading opportunity. So then as fund managers, you'd want to take advantage of the opportunity. Most of your investors are investing in Kenya shillings. So you have Kenya shillings and you'd want to take advantage of this opportunity whereby there's a Kenya two-year paper trading at 20% and you felt like there was mispricing. It was oversold. But then when you walk into a bank and you'd want to buy dollars, you're being given limits. So even as of now, it's not the limits have been expanded but you may not be able to scale. Yeah, I think Mark raised a very good point. There's an opportunity for the government now to sort of, quote unquote, early repay the 2024. It can actually start buying its own bond from the market at very discounted prices, currently trading at levels of 19%. I think I saw a proposition like that from Wedea. Any other points that you had maybe to raise about the Kenyan bond market and what's happening there? Any things that we should be aware of? No, actually, I think today's call, or rather space, has been very helpful. Maybe we can have such more discussions on a going forward basis, because I think the concerns around Kenya defaulting, of course, they're not unfounded, but we were blowing them out of proportion. So I guess if there's a key takeaway from today's discussion, that would be (laughs) my key takeaway. Need to, there are options to, in terms of refinancing. It's not that we do have some options at this some week or roof. It's not as bad as Ghana. That's my takeaway. Jesse. Hi, hi Mokaya. Uh, how are you? Very fine. Do you have a question or comments? One, a question. Thank you. I also work for one of the fund managers in the country. So I just wanted to find out oh. this from. From you are the people holding the country hostage. Eh? It's, it's a very interesting conversation. I was just wondering whether. And this is something that I had wanted to even inquire much earlier about whether the currency situation could also be holding some of the investors hostage, majorly from the side of the fact that with the further deterioration, and then it, it adds up another component in the payment, it balloons the payment in some way. So I just wanted James's and your thoughts on that, whether the currency situation could actually also be contributing. Are you talking about domestic bonds, the euro bonds? In this case, they are particularly in the euro bond. Yeah, Dixon, any thoughts on the euro bond and the local bond markets? So I was saying, what we are facing is a market access issue in the sense that traditionally, when you have bonds maturing, usually you're able to roll them over if if market is confident that your credit risk is fine, and obviously then you're looking at the rate that the market will charge you. Because if you went rollover and the market charge you 15%, ideally you would pass on that, which then means that you locked out of the market, even if you can access the market and pay higher rates. And then I think for us, what has caused this is actually the drop in reserves as opposed to an ability to pay. Uh, market is looking at the payments next year, the maturities that we have, and we are looking at the 2 billion euro bond. Then we have about a billion for about 900 million to China. Plus the usual syndicate and other maturing loans coming to above $5 billion. And they're looking at that versus your reserves at $6 billion and saying, wait a minute, if you paid that, you don't have reserves. And reserves, whereas, whereas they don't serve any purpose, they just sit there. They do give confidence to 
the market that you'll be able to meet your your obligations as and when they arise. To solve for the euro bond, I would need to solve for the reserves. Find ways to boost those reserves to maybe eight, nine billion to a point where there is confidence that if you paid, you will be able to pay that euro bond from your reserves. And then if that were to happen, then you wouldn't even need to pay it. Then market will be happy to give you back the two billion. And that means then you remain neutral on your forex reserves that you're holding. So that really is the challenge. It's a market access challenge as opposed to a solvency issue that we are not able to pay. Because if you got two billion and paid two billion, then it's not a cash flow issue. It's what is what you get is what you'll pay out. So what you need is to build the confidence to the market that when that time comes, I can pay. But if you don't pay, then I can pay. But I don't want to pay. I want to borrow from you guys to roll over. So I guess that's the first point. And I guess that also answers part of the question that the previous speaker had asked. Is the currency part of the issue of why we are seeing the euro bond issues? Yes, it is. Because the ability to access markets to exit positions is what gives confidence that you'll be able to meet your obligations. So if people are having issues meeting local obligations towards things like importing fuel, investors are trapped, they can't exit their cash, then that fear would then transmit to your euro bond. Because then people are saying, you can't generate dollars. You have to find dollars somehow to pay that. So that is part of the fear. And if we're able to solve for the currency and boost reserves, then the euro bond issue will reduce. Strategies to pay the euro bond. I think I've had gentleman, one gentleman saying we could start buying that. That is a good strategy. We know a big portion of that is held by local banks. Again, we could start looking at doing switch auctions. We've seen that on the domestic market. And sometimes for local banks, when it comes to foreign currency debt, they're kind of beholden because they've used local depositors to buy those bonds. And if you were to default and they have cut them, you basically be cutting their own capital. So it's in all your interest to make sure that bond is able to be rolled over. So assuming our billion dollars of that is being held by local banks, if they committed to roll over that, then all of a sudden in the market, what is transmitted is that you just need a billion dollars, not two. And sometimes the supply, the size of the supply, it's part of the fears. If the if market sees you're coming for a smaller amount, they will give you as opposed to a larger amount. And the other bit, obviously, is that if you keep balancing the economy and at some point the market reopens and financially starts floating, maybe the confidence will come back and we'll be able to do that. The only challenge, again, is that the two markets are tied. So if you are going to buy the euro bond, then you'll need to be able to issue domestically. And we are seeing a lot of issues issued domestically. Because ideally, you'll take your tax money and then use that to go buy dollars from central bank or wherever, or from the market, and then use those dollars to, to, to buy the euro bond back, which then means you need to be able to raise your domestic market. And that is why we're seeing the biggest challenge today. Obviously, there's a Mexican standoff. Why are the market wants to be paid higher? And the government has said they will not pay higher. To me, it looks the lack of depth and the development of market over the years is coming back to bite us. Because if you had a primary dealership system, ideally it would have been a writing auctions all along. Maybe you'd have a slightly higher interest rate, but you'd have been having auctions getting filled. I know people have said the only option is that they have to pay up. I'm not sure that is the only option. I think if there's a breakdown in markets, at some point the risk is that they change the PFM Act and give the central bank some ammunition to restart market which will be separate from funding the government. And we saw this from South Africa during the COVID crisis, where the market is located and the 40s were going towards 14% and there was no bidding. 
So the sub said, look, our mandate is not to fund the government. We don't buy bonds. But if market becomes disorderly and there's a risk that the solvency of the holders comes at risk, then we'll come in and buy. And again, it's because we've always said that you cannot default on your own, on your own uh, issuance unless you have fiscal restriction that you put on yourself. What we are facing right now is that we are saying we can default on our own debt. I don't think that can happen. I think what will happen if market really seizes up and it's a matter of not interest rates, but there's liquidity, but people want higher yields and no, or no one is scared of, everyone's scared of coming in because of duration losses. Then the central bank could come in and underwrite that, but they'll have to change the law for that. Maybe give them some portion. It's a bit of three to some extent where they'll come in, buy maybe a hundred billion of fund issuance and then stop gap that and then once market improves sell it out so because that dislocation of the market can become so fulfilling if left uh, unaddressed and we are saying we need an angel investor to come from somewhere to provide liquidity to cap the market otherwise what's to stop with going to 20 percent the market say no we want 30 and going to that we say we want 40 and then at that level then if someone does a valuation an MP of your bonds then immediately you go to default so you'll be going to default because of lack of market access again of your own domestic market and you have a central bank that can cover that. So I think if market doesn't work function at some point, then the PFM Act might be changed and the central bank will come in and buy some bonds to unleash liquidity. Thanks. That's extensive. Perfect. Jason, or the answer satisfactory? Thanks, Mokaya. Yes, that was quite elaborate. Still waiting to hear James. Okay, James. Yeah. No, thanks, thanks, Dixon. As much as when no one is willing to lend to governments, CBK can intervene. But I don't think we are there yet. And what the investors are asking for as a now is not too much that government can't give. Because seeing where the T-bill rates are, I think there's room. They can actually go up maybe some 200 basis points and there'd be so much liquidity that will be unlocked at those levels. Seeing a 91-day T-bill at levels like 12, 12%, 1 each 2 thereabouts, 3, 6, 4 thereabouts, that's short-term pain. And government will be able to, to fill even a very big subscriptions. So it doesn't help them, whereby they reject, bring back the same papers, again, seriously undersubscribed, I guess they're pushing themselves to the corner. Just accept some small pain on the short end. It's not too, short end is not too expensive. It hurts you, but it hurts you for a short time. 200 basis points may be shifted between 91D T-bill all the way to three years. That should be able to unlock a lot of liquidity. Those will be my comments. Nixon, so on that, I think to me, I'm looking at the reluctance to pay up the yield curve. And I think it's tied down to the median term sort of consolidation path that they have. And that really was predicated on having yields around 10, 11% average across the curve. Now we are on the near end already there. And we have to note that with close to 5 trillion of debt, every 1% increase of interest is 50 billion that would permanently become part of the debt service cost. And once you add that, then your deficit numbers for, assuming you took, you end up 300 basis points to say 14% on average from 11, that's 150 billion. So yeah, the fiscal deficit number for next year moves from that 4.1%, you're projecting to close to 6%, which makes the path and the signal you're sending to the market a lot more difficult to achieve. 
And there is no thing to say that once you go to that 14%, market will not ask for a higher level. And this is because we have a, we have a twin problem right now because in the past wires, you'd have moved higher and maybe the currency would adjust and you have offshore investors coming in to support. You will need again to also mark that with an adjustment to the currency side to have offshore investor coming. You'd have a twin issue. But to try and raise funds, then you have to let the currency float. Then currency floating, you have high inflation, then you have increased interest rates. And that path, if you get into that path, you're going towards Ghana, where wires and macros are good, the cost of the debt took them down. If your debt becomes too expensive, ultimately, something has to give you. You have to allow inflation to run wild and to inflate the debt away. Or you start thinking things like the local currency haircuts that we saw in Ghana. So ultimately, it doesn't help to solve for the local investor. I think for now, because the market is really tight because of lack of government spending, they feel that that could be enough to contain inflation simply because there's just not that much cash supply going out there. There's a lot of spending payments. So market financial conditions are really tight in Kenya right now, even without factoring the yields. So what you need then to unlock right now is, is for the economy to get some relief on the liquidity side without interest rates going higher than where they are because I don't see what really is going so great right now that might require higher interest rates to be solved. I think we are facing literally, other than if you remove the factor of imported inflation or food inflation, we're going to be facing really hard times in the economy. And it's not an economy that requires higher interest rates because you're going to have uh, the street defaulting, higher NPLs, and get to a vicious cycle that doesn't solve in the medium term. The reason I feel government is not paying, again, is I think they've been buying time. And part of that, uh, obviously, there's a few factors coming into play. Number one, you have the government oil deal. I think I saw the oil is coming from next week. That deal will generate about 60 billion a month in local currency. And uh, she's going to sit on an escrow account. It is good advice that will be used to invest on the short end for a few months before they have to start buying the currency. So if you get 60 billion coming through on T-bills over and above what's coming through now, Maybe that could unlock, especially if they spend it and then it's put back immediately. Secondly, we have the 1.2 billion coming from the World Bank. Again, that could be given to government, they'll combat that, put that in the reserves. The shilling will be spent back to the, to the market, adding liquidity. Again, market will have to figure out why they want to take 150 billion that will come from that. If the syndicate 400 million balance that was left, and we have for 50 million coming from the IM next month. All in all, close to 500 billion. Uh, that will come through. Do we still feel market will be able to hold out? I don't know. So that's why I guess is this, this madness can stand off. Uh, people, uh, people are saying, I don't need to pay up. If I can buy time and wait until that liquidity comes back, then maybe that will be the confidence that market's not going to go higher. The reason why they don't want to pay up again is because of the debt consolidation outlook. It was planned with yields lower than where they are right now. So already I can see this challenge with that. And that's why they have been forced to bring even a lower deficit number because of the higher yields that they're facing. Thanks, Dixon, for that extensive discussion. We've been here for one and a half hours now. It's time to close the spaces. I'll have more discussions like this. A budget is coming up. These projections of revenues of our hint, $4 trillion, I think, by 2026. Not sure how feasible that is. We're barely at $1.4 trillion this year. Some ambitious targets coming up. So I think we'll look into that in the coming month as we lead up to the budget and all. So we'll be here to examine all that and more. 
So at this point, I want to give you gentlemen time to give your closing thoughts. I'll start with Jesse, Dixon, and then James in that order. Jesse? Thank you. Thank you, Mokaya, for the opportunity. Basically, a lot has been said, which is actually the true picture on the ground. The inflows coming in, the central bank has been quite clear that they are basically looking at that, at floating the euro bond for particular reasons of being able to meet the maturity on the other euro bond uh, that is coming up. From my outlook and from, from basically from my perspective is that they are, they must have considered that as the best option for them to be able to meet that particular obligation. Uh, I don't want to say much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Just Dixon and then James. I would say, look, these are hard times and the only path out is fiscal austerity. I know it's not a popular ask for people, but I know spending is tight and stuff, but the only way we come out of this is through fiscal austerity. And that fiscal austerity sometimes comes with hard decisions. Would I have gone to the extent of no paying salary? The duty is still out. I think that's even harder than IMF would have asked for. But there seems to be serious commitment on doing the, the debt lower at all costs. The matter of market access, like you rightly put, is a decision they'll have to make. Whether the extra points that the market is asking for yeah, is too much, or whether they can pay the near end and hold the fine so that the costs that they incur right now are only for one cycle. So these are, these, I guess these are all considerations they'll have to look at. But from where I stand, I think I do understand why the decisions have been made the way they have been made, but they are not easy for the economy. So we just wish them all the best. Thank you, Dixel. James, I think currency will still be an issue. So as much as we bought time for about six months to September, hope this time round we'll plan better. We'll know that we'll need 500 million every month starting from September because as much as we might get, say, equilibrium around current levels, 135 shillings to the dollar, if by September we would have then worked on those reserves and we have enough dollars to be spending month in, month out after September, our currency will face pressure again. The work is cut out for these governments. They have so many factors that they need to balance, but the key thing they need to communicate is confidence. Because at times you find a lot of rumors being splashed everywhere. And then there's nothing coming through from the CBK and even the treasury. So they should maybe take a leaf from what exactly happens in the U.S., whereby the Fed makes sure that they communicate confidence. And whenever there's any disturbance, they're the first ones to come out and, and put the record straight. So even for us, like for instance, after this call, most of the listeners are sleeping more confident tonight that we are not as bad as what everyone has made us believe. But this should be the government's role to actually make that communication, communicate confidence. And once they communicate confidence, even access of money will be easier. Even maybe fund managers will be more confident to provide money at current levels. With that, thank you, Eric, for giving me a chance to speak. Thank you so much for joining us. We just discussed Kenya's rising eurobond yields. Very good perspectives. I've learned a lot myself.
We will try to avail this as a podcast soon so that it can be available for discussions. Lots of good things lined up for the next month or so. So keep it here on Mongo Spaces. Do check out our podcasts. Also, our spaces are turned into podcasts. You can listen to them on any of the favorite channels. So just type Mongo Capital Podcast and you're able to get that. During the weekend, you have the Mongo memes and then we'll have the Mongo newsletter on Monday to give you a lowdown on what's happening in the market.